I'm going to begin by um, letting you into a little secret about me that not many people know. It's, uh, it's deeply personal and embarrassing. I cannot throw a ball underarm. There it is. My six-year-old daughter is far better at me than throwing a ball underarm. I don't know why I find it so hard. Something about the, the action, the movement of the arm maybe. Um, but it's anyone's guess when the, the ball goes to my hand, which direction it's going to go in. So if you're playing rounders with me and you see me slowly backing away from that job of throwing the ball, um, then now you know why. Now, why am I sharing that deeply personal insight about myself? Well, I think it's because there are similarities in our attempts to share the gospel with our friends, to share the good news about Jesus. If you're a Christian believer who knows and trusts in Jesus Christ, then I'm sure at some point you've tried to explain that message to somebody else. Maybe it's a friend maybe a family member, maybe a flatmate or a course mate. And if we didn't get our words out clearly, or if the reaction we got was not good and negative, or they simply weren't interested, then we can feel as if we shouldn't bother again. Maybe we don't want to be discouraged again. Maybe we're afraid of rejection. And so we simply give up and let someone else do it instead. That might be you. Or maybe you're a Christian who feels as though you've never really got going in trying to share the good news of Jesus with your friends. A bit like a golfer might stand waggling the golf club on the tee. Maybe you've never brought that club down uh, to engage the ball. Or perhaps you're someone who is trying to share Jesus with friends and you're trying to make the most of opportunities that you have. Wherever we're at tonight, I think what we always need is motivation, a changed heart and change desires. I think tips and techniques um, about talking about Jesus can be helpful. So things like asking questions and not just splurging information at somebody, that's a helpful thing um, to know as we talk about Jesus. But the thing that really drives a life of sharing the gospel, both individually and as a church, is right motivations that come from a changed heart. So what we're going to do with our time tonight is think uh, first about why should we speak about Jesus? Why should we do that? Why is that a good thing to do? Then we'll do an exercise together. I'll get you to do a bit of work uh, together on, on how we speak about Jesus. And then thirdly, we'll consider the question, who should speak about Jesus? But we're going to start with the why. Why should we speak about Jesus? And to answer that question, um, I'd love you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 in the Bible, and uh, we're on page 1160. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 1,160. Now we're going to spend most of our time tonight in this passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And there's a phrase that's repeated in 2 Corinthians 4 that gives us the key to what the passage is all about. And we sang about it in, in the song we just sung Uh, It's there in verse 1, and it's also there in verse 16. It's those words, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. It can be easy to lose enthusiasm for speaking about Jesus for all sorts of reasons. But Paul tells us here why we should not lose heart. There's lots we could say about these verses. I'd love to spend longer um, in them with you, but I'm just going to keep it brief and give you six reasons why Paul keeps speaking about Jesus, six reasons why he does not lose heart and why we shouldn't lose heart either. 
So the first thing um, is there in verse 1, the mercy of God. The mercy of God. Have a look at verse 1. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Now when Paul talks about this ministry in verse 1, it's the ministry of chapters 2 and 3. If you know 2 Corinthians at all, you might know about this ministry of the new covenant that Paul has been talking about in chapters 2 and 3. A ministry that brings life to people as they grasp the glory of Jesus. And why does Paul have that ministry? It's the mercy of God in verse 1. Why does any Christian share in the work of the gospel? It's the mercy of God. The mercy of God means that he has not treated us according to what we deserve. If you've been looking at Romans at Real Food, you'll know that we deserve his anger and punishment for the way that we've exchanged his glory for idols. And yet in his mercy, he brings us into a relationship with him. And in his mercy, he gives us a ministry to be involved in. A ministry of helping others to hear the good news of Jesus that we have come to believe. So we need to remember that God didn't pick us for his team if you're a Christian because you're athletic or clever, or morally good, because you can throw a ball under arm, whatever it is. He chose you by pure mercy. And it continues to be the case throughout the Christian life that our ministry is through the mercy of God. That keeps us humble, keeps us thankful, keeps us eager to share that mercy with others. Firstly, the mercy of God. Secondly, the glory of Jesus. Here's the next motivation to keep us speaking, the glory of Jesus. We'll come back to verse 2 a little bit later, but just skip down to verses 3 and 4 with me. Verse 3, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So we read here that um, God is not the only spiritual being active in our world. Satan who's described here as the God of this age, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Satan is actively keeping people in darkness when it comes to the truth about Jesus Christ. He wants a veil to remain over people's eyes. And do you see what he's stopping people from seeing in these verses? The glory of Jesus. Unbelievers cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now we'll see in a moment that the God of creation is more powerful than the God of this age. But in this verse we do have a motivation to speak because we want eyes to be opened to the glory of Jesus. We want people to see him as we've seen him and to know him as we know him, to experience his love and grace and favour as we've experienced. And the more we're captivated by the glory of Jesus, then the more we'll want others to know that glory too. The mercy of God, the glory of Jesus. Thirdly, the lordship of Jesus in verse 5. For we do not preach ourselves, Paul says, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Here's the third motivation to keep speaking. Jesus Christ is Lord. Over the past few months, we've had some uh, leadership changes, major ones in our country, haven't we? We've gone from having a queen to a king. We've gone from having one Prime Minister to another Prime Minister to another Prime Minister. (laughs) And each time we share the news uh, with other people, don't we? Did you hear that Rishi Sunak has become the Prime Minister, we say? We talk about it because it has implications for our lives and for our futures. Well, just magnify that, not to our country at this time, but to the universe. 
Paul knows that there's been a change at the heart of the universe. Jesus Christ is Lord. He has risen from the dead and he's taken his place as God's king over all creation and he will return to judge the living and the dead. He is Lord. And if he's Lord of this world, then he's Lord of every single person who lives in this world. The person who lives with you in your flat, the family members you'll see over Christmas, the people on your courses, every person should know and acknowledge that they are not Lord of their own lives, but that Jesus is Lord. That's the third motivation to speak. Jesus is Lord. Fourthly, the power of God. Why do we keep speaking? The power of God. Have a look at verse 6. For God, he said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So Paul says here that the God who spoke this creation into being, who brought light out of darkness by his word, is the same God who by the same power brings about a new creation. As we're faced with people blinded by the God of this age, people maybe indifferent or hostile to the message about Jesus, we need to know the power of God. Our God placed the burning sun in the sky that gives light to every single person on this earth. He scattered across the heavens billions of stars that give light to this world. He is the God who brings physical light out of darkness. And he's a God who brings spiritual light out of spiritual darkness. Paul knows this. Think of the Damascus Road when he was converted. If you're a Christian, you know this too. You've had your own eyes opened by the power of God to the glory of Jesus in the face of Christ. And so we speak, knowing that the God of creation is the God of the new creation, the one who powerfully works in human hearts. You should never think that a person is too far from Jesus or too hardened to Jesus or too blind to the truth. Look at the sun. And look at Paul and look at your own life and know that God brings light out of darkness. The power of God. Fifthly, the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus. Come down with me to verse 13. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. So Paul has this logic that comes from Psalm 116 in the Old Testament. He believes, and so he speaks. And what does he believe? Well, he believes in the resurrection, that the one who raised Jesus from the dead will raise us as well, and we will be presented to God as his people. Christians believe that this world is not all there is, that there is a life to come, and that this is guaranteed because Jesus himself has entered into that new life already. We believe, and so we speak. John Chapman was an Australian uh, Christian and evangelist who Danny and Emma knew well from um, their time in Sydney. And he sometimes talked about the moment that he woke up in the morning when he was tempted to give up on Jesus. And here's what he said, I'll spare you my attempt at an Australian accent, and you can ask Danny to do it for you later. He said, so when I get up in the morning and, and have had enough of being a Christian, I sit on the end of the bed and swing my legs over the side and I say, John Chapman, have you had any fresh information that Jesus Christ did not live? No, I have not. And John Chapman, have you had any fresh information that Jesus Christ did not die for you, rise from the grave and promise to return? No, I have not. Well, John Chapman, keep going. It is obviously the best thing to do. 
we believe, and so we speak. The resurrection of Jesus means that we should not lose heart. Finally, sixthly, our future with Jesus. Have a look at verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. As Paul looks at his life and he sees that he's outwardly wasting away. And in verses 8 to 10, as he talks about his life of suffering and weakness, saying he's hard pressed on every side, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, carrying around in his body the death of Jesus. He looks at all those things and he calls those things momentary and light in verse 17. Compared to the glory of eternity, these sufferings are light. And compared to the infinite stretching out of eternity, these sufferings are merely momentary. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. We keep on speaking because we know where we're heading and we want others to be there too. The mercy of God, the glory of Jesus, the lordship of Jesus, the power of God, the resurrection of Jesus and our future with Jesus. Because of these things, we do not lose heart. We believe and so we make it our life's work to speak. I just want you to take a moment on your own, uh, maybe to jot down which of those six you'd like to believe more deeply. Which of those things do you think you'd like to believe more deeply? Maybe you can take those into your prayers for the week. Just give you a moment. Well, if that's why we should speak about Jesus, and how should we do it? That's our next question. How should we speak about Jesus? I want to try and bring together three things now that we need to have in mind as we speak about Jesus that come from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4 mostly. I'm going to do an exercise that I uh, did a few years ago as part of some training with somebody called Rico Tice, who uh, works at All Souls Langham Place in London. Um, He's written a book called Honest Evangelism. And he had these three overlapping ideas that we need to keep together when we share the message of Jesus. And there's a a space to draw this, if you want to, um, on the sheet. We've already seen the first theme, um, the sovereignty of God. (coughs) The sovereignty of God. We saw that in verse 6. How will the blindness of unbelievers be overcome? Not by human cleverness, not by human ability, but by the God who says, let light shine out of darkness. It is the mercy of God and the power of God That brings life to a person. That's the first thing to keep in mind. The sovereignty of God. The second thing is gospel integrity. Let's just go back to verse 2 for a moment to see this. Verse 2. This is what Paul says about gospel integrity. He says, rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly... We commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So gospel integrity means that we refuse to tamper with the message of the gospel. We refuse to water it down or redefine it to suit our purposes. Instead, we set it forth plainly. We don't hide it because it's that good news that has the power to save sinners like us. Gospel integrity. And then the third area to think through is our creativity. 
even though Paul refuses to tamper with the message of the gospel, we do see him throughout the New Testament um, flexing and adapting when he speaks about Jesus. So the way that he speaks to a Jewish audience, for example, is different to the way he speaks to the Athenian uh, people in Acts chapter 17. He sees the people in front of him and thinks, how can I bring the true, unchanging message of Jesus Christ to these particular people who I'm speaking to at this moment? Not changing the message, but bringing the message to bear in a way that can be understood by his hearers' creativity. So I want us to have a think about these three things um, for a few minutes um, together. God's sovereignty, gospel integrity, our creativity all go hand in hand. But I want you to think, what is the result if we believe in only two of these things and neglect the third one? So you just turn over the page um, and you'll see that you'll see that exercise on the other page. For example, that first one, what is the problem if we believe in God's sovereignty and the need for creativity, but not gospel integrity? And then we can work through uh, those three things. Does that make sense, what we're doing? So what, what happens if we believe in two of these things and not all three? Um, so I think what we'll do, just turn in, in twos and threes uh, with those around you. Maybe if this side, uh, you start off with the third one. This side, start off with the first one. And then when you finish on those two, then move to the second one at, at whatever point you want to do that when you finish talking about that. So you start with the last one, the first one, and then move on to the second one when you've, when you've done that. Um, so just have a few minutes talking with those around you. What's going to be the impact if you believe in two of these things and not the third? I'm going to throw out a few thoughts and then hear, hear some more ideas from, from you all. Um, let's start with that first one. If we've got God's sovereignty, we believe in that, and we believe in the need for creativity, but not gospel integrity. Um, here are just a few thoughts. Uh, no one will become Christians because it's not the gospel that we're proclaiming. Um, we'll potentially deceive people with the message. We might have numbers, but no genuine success in God's eyes. And people will become customers, not disciples. Any other thoughts from those who thought about this one? Anything else to, to shout out? Again, it's obvious, but just the known of the Christians because it's not a gospel at all. It's a false assimilation. Thanks, Jim. It gives you license to kind of skip over the difficult bits, which will leave people unprepared for that if they do then profess to faith. Yeah, yeah we'll be thinking about that a bit in 2 Samuel. Preparing people for the, the hard the hardship of following Jesus as well as the joys. Yeah. MJ? Uh, I was going to say it projects sort of like a lack of personal integrity as well. Um, mm. sort of looks bad. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, verse two in two Corinthians four, Paul commends himself to every man's conscience in the sight of God. He's doing his, his ministry before God, isn't he? Not just before other people. Yeah. Anything else to to say here? Well, should we move on to the next one? Okay, so here we're believing in God's sovereignty and gospel integrity, but not the need for any creativity. I suppose it's better than the first one in some ways, because we're, we're proclaiming the gospel. Um, a few thoughts could be potentially quite boring. Um, churches will shrink. We won't appeal to a wider group. We're not really connecting with people. Any other thoughts on this one? Okay. We were kind of saying that we 
find ourselves like speaking the truth but not out of love, um, which will kind of alienate people because just getting like a harsh rhetoric rather than actually mirroring God's love for them. That's very helpful, thank you. You won't take responsibility for results. Mm. You just say what it's God's will. Yeah, and then without realising it, and still just holding our hands in the thing we've done our job. Yeah. 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 potentially quite insensitive as well in how we proclaim the gospel. Yeah. Potentially tend towards kind of the easier form, like things that are easier to do but less personal, like you know, tracts or mm. random little Bible verse things as opposed to actually that love and investment in particular. Yes. Maybe things that we've always done, you think are going to work again. Yeah. Was there a hand over there? Joe. I was just saying it takes away our, we're not doing creative, we don't connect with people. And if we don't connect with people, then we're not actually addressing the issue there. Because it might be they've been treated badly by Christians in the past. And if you're just going in with just the two ways to live and the gospel outline, you're missing all the baggage that people bring along with it. So it doesn't address the person, you're just addressing your caricature of the person. Yeah. So part of this is about listening as well, isn't it? Listening to the person who's in front of us. Great, let's move on to the final one. Um, if we believe in God's integrity and the need for creativity, but not God's sovereignty, if we don't believe in that, or if we forget that as we speak about Jesus, no prayer, um, self-dependent, pride, if anyone becomes a Christian, exhausted and discouraged. Any other thoughts on this one? Yeah, John. We're going to pick and choose who we talk to. Why is that? Well, because we're going to sort of might look at someone from God and then be a Christian. Mm. Mm. Forgetting the God who shines light out of darkness, yeah. Any other thoughts? Josh? Um, you just said that you might get quite downhearted and just so mad at Because we think that we can change people's hearts when only God can open people's eyes. Yeah. Brilliant, very helpful. Thanks, everyone. Um, I hope you can see that we need all three um, as we speak about Jesus. We need a proper understanding of God's sovereignty so that we don't despair and we don't burn out. We need a proper understanding of gospel integrity, don't we, so that we'll share the true gospel and not something other than the truth. And we need to remember the need for creativity, to think wisely about how we can reach our friends uh, with the news about Jesus. So again, as with the last section, um, maybe just jot down which of those three you'd like to believe and live out uh, more than you are at the moment. Which of these three do you want to believe and live out more than you do right now? Another thing to, to take into your prayers this week. Final question, uh, most briefly, who should speak about Jesus? 
And as you think about this whole area of speaking the gospel to people you love, I wonder where you'd naturally gravitate on the diagram on the sheet. Do you gravitate more towards the individual? This all depends on me. I need to be out there sharing the gospel, speaking to friends, doing the work, leading them to Jesus. It all depends on me. Or are you the other end of the spectrum? This all depends on them. Maybe you see the work of evangelism as a job for other people, uh, people who are perhaps more gifted or extroverted or able. Well, I think there's a better way to think than both of those extremes. And it's to think not just about me or them, but about us. This is about all of us, side by side, seeking to be the best witnesses we can be to the truth of the gospel. Mission is a team game, not a solo sport. It's more rugby than running. We're in this together. And in fact, we need one another to be effective witnesses to Jesus. Just have a look at John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35 on the sheet. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus is saying that as his disciples live together and love one another, then others will know that they belong to Jesus. The relationships within a healthy church community will witness to the truth of the gospel. And that's why it's so helpful to ask somebody, would you like to come to church with me? Because there they'll hear the gospel spoken. And we pray they'll also see the impact of the gospel with their own eyes. But knowing that it's a team game also helps us to remember that we don't have to have every gift and every skill as we witness to Jesus. I just want to read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which is a good place to see this. Paul says that just as our physical bodies are made up of different parts, so it is with the body of Christ. And as individual members of the body, we don't need to try and be somebody that we're not. So just have a, have a listen to these verses from 1 Corinthians 12. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, um, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, it's a very strange thought, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. I think that's really helpful to remember when it comes to our mission as a church. God has placed the parts in the body um, as he sees fit. He's given you to our church family with your particular gifts and personality for a reason. It's a good thing that our church is not made up of all extroverts or all introverts. It's good that some have the um, ability to bring lots of people to church and others have the gift of getting alongside them. God has put different people together in his wisdom so that we might work together to make the gospel known. And there are hundreds of ways we could do this. We could talk about this all night. Um, loads of ways we could do this. We could be praying for one another in our um, witness to Jesus. We could be getting to know one another's friends. We could be speaking to newcomers at church, inviting people over for games, helping a friend in a conversation, modelling the gospel in the way that we love others. I find it much more exciting and liberating to remember that we are called together to bear witness to Jesus. Yes, to be the best possible witness we can be in our um, situations that God has placed us, but also to work with church family, to work with one another, to make Jesus known to those around us. So I think the simple uh, take home uh, from this talk is that we believe 
those things that we started with. And so together we speak. I'm going to hand over to Lydia. Lydia's going to tell us um, a few ways that uh, we can be doing that over the next um, few weeks. Um, and you might want to just take some of those things into prayers later in studies as well. So over to Lydia.